Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome, everyone, to Positively Trek, your favorite Star Trek podcast. Well, I just assume it's your favorite, but if it's not your favorite, it's one of your favorites because you're listening to us. I'm Bruce Gibson. Thank you so much for joining us. And with me is Dan Gunther. Dan, how are you doing this, let's see, sunny, at least where I am, Friday morning? Pretty well, pretty well. It's been nice and sunny here, too. Kind of looking a little bit maybe overcast this morning, but... I'm sure it'll get nice later. We've had a lot of nice days lately, so hopefully that continues. Uh, As far as Positively Trek goes, I hope I'm not sounding too out of line when I say it's definitely one of my favorite podcasts, because it's when I get to talk to you every week about new Star Trek, so uh, it's definitely a favorite of mine. (laughs) It's one that I listen to often um, when I'm recording it, (laughs) (laughs) and sometimes after, too. But on today's show, we are going to talk about Strange New Worlds, Season 1, Episode 6, Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. And I'm looking forward to talking to you about that. But before we do that, we have some news items we want to touch on here. And one is about, the first one is about, I should say, Alex Kurtzman. He's been talking again. I love it when this man talks because we get some insight into stuff that's coming. And I'm just like, yeah, gimme, gimme, gimme something more information here. And he was on the recent Ready Room with Will Wheaton, and he mentioned in the interview that we will possibly see the Gorn in some effect. You know, Uh, he talks about how the classic movies of Aliens and Jaws and Alfred Hitchcock gives you little hints of things like you just see the fin of a shark and you use your imagination to see the shark, which sometimes is more terrifying than actually seeing the shark. So he says that they can't afford to do full CG characters of the Gorn. And then what is that that line on creating the Gorn? Do you make the Gorn look like it did in TOS? Do you make it look like it did on Enterprise? Something new, something in between. So those are the things they're working on that we're going to see, or I guess they've worked on, but we're going to see something here, some little hint of Gorn in a future episode of Strange New Worlds. And are you okay with seeing the Gorn, Dan? I am more than okay with seeing the Gorn. This is a species that I'd love to see some more exploration of. And, you know, there's a lot of people talking about canon and that sort of thing. And does it make sense for the Gorn to be seen right now and all that sort of stuff. And it was interesting watching Arena, the original appearance of the Gorn, it was always kind of assumed that was the first contact that Starfleet had with the Gorn and stuff. But in that whole first part of the episode, they don't know who it is who's attacked Cestus Three, and then it's later in the episode where the Metrons mention that it's the Gorn, and there's no real reaction to that as far as like like if you 
listen to what Kirk says. It kind of almost sounds like he knows what they're talking about, or he's like, oh, the you know, refers to the Gorn later on. There's no indication whether, oh, I've never heard of them or one way or the other. So it's kind of open to interpretation there. So there's that whole side of it. The other side is I'm excited to see what they do with modern technology and modern effects and modern sensibilities with the Gorn. I think it would be really fascinating to see what they come up with for this. I'm excited, personally. I am, too. I'd like to see what they're going to do with it, too, because we saw what they did in Enterprise. We also saw what they did in the Star Trek 09 video game that came out that was all about the Gorn. And we've seen Gorn in comics, but they pretty much look like they did in Arena. So we've seen different versions of Gorn, and not all Gorn have to look alike. So the thing is, they have to blink, because they added the blink in the remastered TOS episode, so now we have to see blinking Gorn. Agreed completely. That is a must at this point. The Gorn (laughs) must blink. I want all of the Star Trek fans out there to make your signs for protest, go outside the studios, and march and say, the Gorn must blink. That's your chant. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, I want to see a Gorn in an episode go, ah, I got something in my eye, and he's just blinking a lot. There you, know? you go. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing that Kurtzman was talking about is we see some other characters from TOS arrive on the show. Now, we do know about James T. Kirk. He's coming in season two, and they also have indicated that Roger Kirby will appear, which was Chapel's fiance in TOS didn't indicate what other characters we would see, but I was just curious, Dan, are, would they be going too far by introducing more TOS characters or would you like to see more TOS characters? And if you'd like to see more, who would you like to see? That's a good question. There's always the danger of the small universe syndrome, right? If everybody kind of pops up that we've seen before, that could make it a little difficult to suspend disbelief, right? But I, I think there's room for a few as long as it's not as as long as they're characters who make sense to appear and that sort of thing. So, you know, we have Sam Kirk. I'd love to see Aurelin, his wife in TOS. And also if you look at his kid from that episode, Craig Hundley was 12 or 13 years old when he played Kirk's kid. So if that kid is Sam Kirk's biological kid, he's already been born by this point. So let's see the extended Kirk family, you know, like, let's see the, let's see the nephew and the, and the sister-in-law of James T. Kirk. (laughs) Now that would be good. That'd be interesting. I hadn't thought about that one. I don't know who I'd want to see. I, you know, okay, I know what, who I'd like to see, and it's not any specific character, but a character that was in the episode, The Cage, that served on the Enterprise, mm. maybe coming in visit as a, hey, Captain, it's been a while since I've seen you type of thing. Yeah. That might be interesting. That would be neat. Uh, Dr. Boyce, possibly, or any of the other characters. I always thought that the guy that, got killed in the D in the discovery episode brother, the science officer. He kind of vaguely looks a lot like the geologist officer from the cage who wore blue in that episode as well. So I always kind of thought, Hey, that's kind of, you know, cause the cage took place before that discovery episode. Right. So 
That's right. I always yeah. thought that would kind of work there, but you know, it'd be neat to see some other faces from the cage as well, for sure. I wonder if we're going to see Amanda and Sarek because we do of course have Spock in the show. And I wonder if we're going to see any of the characters we were introduced in discovery that are still yeah. here in the 22nd century. I would love to see Mary Chifo back as Laurel. I really love that character, and I think she's an incredible actress. So I- I'd love to see that character back for sure. And maybe T'Pol from Enterprise, an older T'Pol. That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out how to fit in an Enterprise character, but they're pretty much probably dead by this time. Yeah, very probably. Yeah, maybe maybe but, a descendant or something like that. Like, you know, some some person comes on board, you know, Lieutenant Patricia Reed, and they're like, Oh, your grandfather was the, you know, tactical officer on the on the Enterprise NX01 or something. That'd be kind of cool. That would work. Yeah. I'd I'd like to see that. Yeah, but like you said, then the universe starts to get too small if they do too much of that. A right? little bit, but. yeah. It's it's kind of a good reason why someone like me isn't charge isn't in charge of Star Trek because I'd be like, "Ooh, that'd be cool," and then people would realize that, yeah, that's too small universe, and yeah, yeah. It's I I kind of had mixed feelings about it all the time, and I've said that before because I like seeing that stuff, but then I also want them to just like focus on new things. All the time. And it's like, what's that fine line? Like when they made the next generation, I remember hearing Gene Roddenberry say one of the reasons he wanted to put it, you know, in a century later after TOS is he didn't want to just keep going back to things they did in TOS, do something totally different, you know, different planets, different aliens, whatever, you know, but of course uh, things from TOS and Star Trek lore were creeping into certain things, but he didn't want to touch that very often. But I do feel like new Star Trek likes to dip into the sandbox more often, but there's more to dip into. That's the other thing. Mm. So there's tons of things like it's hard not to dip into something somewhere when you have hundreds and hundreds of episodes out there. So yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Well, and speaking of all that crossovers is another thing that Alex Kurtzman spoke about. And I, I thought it was interesting. He made the comment that there are things in Picard that were set up to pay off in discovery and that there are things that were set up in Discovery that then go back and retrofit the seasons that haven't been written yet for the other shows. And he says it's very important that each showrunner has their own individual take on what they love about Star Trek while embracing the fundamentals. So it's it sounds like, you know, they're trying to make that balance of, well, we're separate shows, but we kind of want to connect in some way. And I, again, not trying to get the universe too small, but... I like that idea. I do as well. And watching Picard and Strange New Worlds, I feel like one avenue they're doing, and we've talked about this before, is the eugenics wars and the whole con backstory. I feel like there's something brewing there. They're they're doing some sort of tying together there, and I think we'll see that pay off somehow. But I'm curious to see other ways that that'll happen. Like, will Wesley the Traveler show up or something like that? You know, is it as simple as that, or is there something more complicated they're laying the groundwork for? I'm excited to see that all pay off. Yeah, I would too. And the other thing that he had mentioned was they listen to fans. They actually go online and listen to podcasts and read blogs and whatever else that's out there. And they do consider that in the writer's room, which 
I, I don't really like that. I mean, I do and I don't, but it's just, gosh, I hope they don't listen too much to fans because, you know, one person says I like it. The other one says they don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're always going to have a mix. So how do you really figure out what fans want when you get a mix of love it and hate it? You know, it's almost like I'd rather just them say I'd rather say to them, you love Star Trek. Do what you want to do. And if it if people like it, they like it. if they don't, then go a different direction. Yeah, I, I, I'm of two minds of that. I like that they listen to the fans a bit. But again, you know, I, I hate the idea of that kind of overriding their vision or what they want to do with things. And, you know, things that listen to the fans too much, I think, sometimes become just a bit too much wish fulfillment and not don't go as deep as they could otherwise, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I don't know. What I would also like to add, though, is, hi, Alex. Thank you for listening. We love the shows. Uh, yeah. Let us know if you want to come on. We'd love to have you uh, on Positively Trek. <laughs> and Alex, have you been getting my emails? Because you haven't been responding. I email you every day and you've never responded. But I assume <laughs> you're reading them because everything you guys have done is what I've suggested in my emails. So I, I really appreciate you reading them. I just wish you would respond. There so. you go. They're listening to that fan anyway. <laughs> <laughs> No, I have never emailed Alex Kurtzman ever in my life. So uh, maybe one day I will, but I have really no reason to accept. Yeah, if he's listening, keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. Love it. So at least we love it here on this show. And the other thing is we do have a new non-binary character coming to Strange New Worlds. He's played by Jesse James Keetle. Now, I'm not that familiar with Jesse James Keetle, but they spoke to Variety recently, and the character is going to be Dr. Aspen. And this character is going to appear on Episode 7 of Strange New Worlds. That's the next episode here on June 16th that we're going to be watching. So, and, you know, this is really good because I didn't think about it until just now, but it's good that this episode's coming out this month during Pride Month. And this character is non-binary, and the actor is a trans woman playing this character. Mm-hmm. And the director is also trans. So double whammy there. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know much about the actor. I haven't watched anything they've been in myself. But apparently Kaitel will be playing a non-binary character named Dr. Aspen, as you said, who once worked as a Starfleet counselor but whose experiences on the Federation border prompted them to shift careers and work as a humanitarian aid worker. So a, the representation, that's really cool. I love that we're getting this sort of character and B, an aid worker, humanitarian aid worker that I don't think that's something we've seen much in star Trek. So that's pretty cool as well. I think there's lots of room for a character that, undertakes that sort of occupation in the Star Trek universe. It makes a lot of sense. That's the other thing I like about Strange New Worlds is we can see other positions on the ship that we've never seen before. You think about there's hundreds of people, so you're going to see a variety of people and positions on the ship that we've never seen. So that's pretty cool, too. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I want to see the 23rd century version of Doctors Without Borders or or whatever organization 
that looks like that or something. You know, that sounds really cool to me. Yeah. Have we ever seen a physical therapist? Because my wife's one. And I don't know if we've ever seen one on Star Trek. I remember reading, I don't remember the book, but I remember there was a book that had a physical therapist on the ship and I pointed it out to her. Yeah. We've seen like chief medical officers doing physical therapy type things. Like I remember when Worf broke his back, there was some scenes like that, but it was just Dr. Crusher. Right. So, right. But a specific physical therapist, I don't know. I don't think so. Not that I can think of. Yeah. Well, you know, there's gotta be one, at least one on the ships. Just haven't seen it. I guess not that position isn't interesting enough for an episode yet. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, but that's, that's the other thing about television, how this works is like you said about Dr. Crusher, if there is a scene that's going to call for something like that, instead of bringing in another character just to play the physical therapist, you're just always going to use your main lead, which is the doctor. So the doctor's like doing everything. Yeah. But, oh, well, maybe one day we'll see that. But the other thing we will be seeing here soon in se- on September 6th is a new book coming out called Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, The Making of the Classic Film. I don't know about this, but I'm just like, have we ever had a book about the making of this film? I, I, I didn't. Nicholas Meyer came out with a book about, but from his experience, the director of the movie. But I'm trying to think we actually had a book like this before. I don't recall one, but I'm very interested in reading this. Yeah, very interested in checking this out. This looks gorgeous. It's, it's a hardcover, coffee table style book. Uh, like you said, coming out September 6th having like production art, cutscenes, script extracts, behind the scenes photos and un- previously unpublished archival material, all kinds of really cool stuff to kind of dig in deep in the background and history of Star Trek II, which is of course still one of the benchmark films of Star Trek, a lot of people's absolute favorite film and one that constantly gets referred to as something to aspire to for Star Trek films. So this will be really great to get our hands on and take a look at, I think. I think we definitely will do that. We may have the authors on, we haven't asked, but it's John and Maria Jose Tenuto. And so who knows, or we'll review the book. So uh, it's $50 here in the U.S. right now. You can pre-order on Amazon. Maybe you can pre-order elsewhere. I do see they have a Kindle version for twenty four ninety nine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, a coffee table book with pretty pictures and color. You want that hardcover. You don't want a Kindle. Yeah, for sure. I think that I I wouldn't personally want the Kindle edition, but it is significantly less expensive if you'd rather go that route. Exactly, and I don't blame you for doing that. <laughs> so okay, I'm excited about reading that. But there's another thing coming out which I typically don't buy these collector items, character figures, one six scale, exo six to the power, whatever they call themselves, exo six characters. We get Mir Sulu and Lieutenant Commander Tuvok. And once again, these look incredible. They do. I'm blown away by uh, the Mirror Sulu, especially that face sculpt, that kind of, manic look and that grin it's just it it screams george takei but specifically the mirror sulu from the tos episode mirror mirror 
I love this figure. And Tuvok looks pretty darn good, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they both look great. But I do agree that Sulu, the one with him holding the dagger and looking at it, looks really good. Looks scary. <laughs> yeah. They always do great photography and lighting and stuff, which enhances it. But uh, I've been told by people who have purchased these figures, not these specific ones, they haven't arrived yet, but the previous releases that in person they are even better than what you see in the photos so i will agree with that because when i saw these at mission chicago oh, yeah, i was blown away yeah i was blown away and i mean they're in these cases where you can walk around you could look at all angles and you know i saw other people doing it too but i'm like walking around like looking at all angles and like dang they look so good it looks like they just shrunk the actor down and put them in a case you know <laughs> It's scary. But now the Mir Sulu, you can pre-order now, comes out later this year in 2022. And it's a cost of $198 plus shipping. And the Tuvok one also comes out later this year. And it's the same price, $198. So that's available for pre-order too. And also, Dan pointed out to me before we recorded, you can now pre-order the Michael Burnham for $215 plus shipping. Yep. And uh, that, so we're recording this on Friday, June 10th. This just went up for pre-order yesterday on the 9th. And uh, I'm hoping this one does really well as well. As I've said on the show before, uh, I've done one pre-order in this set, and that's the Benjamin Sisko figure. I did pre-order that. And I have news I pre-ordered Michael Burnham as well. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so, uh, I, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on a couple of these figures now, I guess. So uh, it's going to hurt the wallet, but they are gorgeous. And, uh, you know, I listened to another Star Trek podcast, Weekly Trek with Alex Perry, and I'm not at his level yet. He's apparently uh pre-ordered and purchased every single one they've put out so far <laughs> so oh wow i'm i can't i can't match him on that level but uh, i'm really excited to get these two uh benjamin cisco and michael burnham at some point so i'll it's let the you know. start of many i can see it <laughs> happening <laughs> i was thinking like okay i'll just focus on deep space nine but then, you know, the Discovery ones, I might pick and choose from them. They also have a Pike Discovery one that they've shown. I might hold off on that until it's the Strange New Worlds version, but that looks awesome. And, oh, man, I don't know. My wallet's going to hurt, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Alex Perry. I met him for the first time in Chicago. Oh, right so on. another Mission Chicago reference there. So maybe they'll make an action figure of him. You know, and I can have that too. <laughs> the podcaster line of XO6 figures. There you go. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you, me, Alex, all of us, you know, that would be great. Yeah. I'd collect those. You've heard their voices. You've never even known what they've looked like, but wouldn't you love a one sixth scale figure of them for 200 bucks? I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Comes with accessories like headphones and microphone. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and chair to sit on <laughs> and people are like wow they look just like them even though i've never seen them before but they look just like them <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> well okay i'm looking forward to those figures coming out soon too <laughs> so, but okay 
enough of that. So let's talk about this episode of Strange New Worlds, Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. But before we do that, we have to take a little break and we'll be right back. Don't worry, we're not going anywhere. We'll still be here. It's that time of the episode again where we give a special shout out to our Patreon supporters, especially those at our Constitution class starship level and higher. So a special thank you to Carl Morris, Joyce Marin, Justin Ozer, Jim Stoffel, Jesse Earle, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, Paul D. Kinnear, and John Blaber. We really do appreciate all of your support of the Positively Trek podcast. If you are interested in making a monthly donation to help keep the show coming to you each week, please visit us at patreon.com slash positivelytrek. If you join at any level, you get access to our Patreon-only feed, where you get early access to episodes and ad-free versions of episodes as well. There are also other great perks. Again, visit us at patreon.com slash positivelytrek to learn more. Thanks again. And now, back to the show. Your uh, new uniform is very yellow. Oh, it's gold, technically, because I'm um, <laughs> a captain, so... Well, on behalf of Majalis, we thank you for your help, Captain Pike. Uh, this is my number one, Una, a Lieutenant Commander Una Chin Riley. Allow me to take you to the ready room to debrief. Lift us where suffering cannot reach. Dan, what are your initial thoughts of this episode? So this was a. Uh... An interesting episode. I I have a lot to say about it. I think thematically and story-wise, there's some really interesting things to say. I would say it's not my favorite of the season so far, but again, that doesn't mean it's a bad episode because the the episodes this season have just all been so dang good. So uh, I I don't want to feel like I'm damning it with faint praise, but uh, yeah, it's it's probably my least favorite of the season so far, but there's still so much that I loved in it and so much that I think we need to talk about for sure. I would say it's my least favorite of the season, that and the first episode. But again, it's not that I don't like them. It's just that they're all so good. They're just my least of the favorites. But I will say I watched this episode twice and the second time around, I liked it even better. Hmm. That's I. I get that impression as well. I've only watched it the one time, but it's one that I really want to watch again, mostly because of the revelations at the end of the episode. I want to see that kind of play out before we get that information. Yeah, and that's what it is. It's knowing what happens at the end. Watching it again now, you know, that's made it even more interesting to me. And maybe I shouldn't even say making it more interesting. But it's just a different take on it. Now I'm seeing it through a different lens. So I had two ways of viewing it, which was really cool to me. So that's why I think I've enjoyed the episode even more because it was a different experience the second time around. Mm -hmm. But we're going to go right into the episode now. There are spoilers. So here we go, people. If you haven't seen it here, you know, I I don't know why you haven't watched it. Maybe because it's not available in your area yet. But don't listen to this. We don't want to spoil it for you. Watch it and then listen to this later. So we have the Enterprise in the Magellan system. 
And Pike said he had been there 10 years earlier on a rescue mission. And here we go again. He's rescuing a shuttle that's being attacked in the system. And so they beam the survivors of the shuttle on. And one of the three people that are on the transporter pad is Alora, who she sees Pike and she's like, Lieutenant Pike. And he's just like, ah, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> <laughs> And I thought that was great because it's like, oh, obviously there was some kind of romantic interest between these two 10 years ago. And of course, he's not a lieutenant anymore. And he's just kind of fumbling his words and he introduces his uh, uh, number one. uh, um, uh, (laughs) He's stumbling over his words. I love I love this scene just to see him being a bit uncomfortable. I really enjoyed that as well. Anson Mount is just such a perfect actor. I feel like this is the sort of thing that would be difficult to convey the reality of the situation, but the awkwardness and the fumbling here is pitch perfect. Like it's exactly the way somebody is just like, you know, totally flustered around someone they obviously have had feelings for and and it's awkward I also love Rebecca Romaine as number one in this, as she's observing all of this, and she just kind of gives Pike this side eye, and there's a beat, and then she says, let me take you to your quarters, or whatever, to the briefing room, to the the people who've just beamed on board. And she's just, like, not having any of this. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just love her looks like she was enjoying this. Like, mm, okay, what's going on here between these two? Okay, you know, I love that. But we also had two other people on the transporter pad, a man and a boy. And the man asks if he can take the the boy to, to sickbay. And I love how it's asked, oh, are you the father of the boy? And he's like, in a biological sense. He says only in a biological sense. Only in a biological sense, yeah. And it's like, okay, what does that mean? Which we find out later. Also, I just want to introduce to this in this first part of the episode, we also get some scenes with Uhura and Lon and Pike. And Pike's asking Uhura about the training she's about to go through with on and he says about you know oh have you got to lesson seven she's like no what's lesson seven and he's got this grin like oh yeah can't wait for lesson seven and he just zips his lips that's (laughs) that's his only reaction to that he looks at her and zips his lips and she's like oh great And she's like, and Lon's like, hey, did you enjoy your, your downtime? She's like, yeah, there's no downtime in security. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, that was uh, Ortegas. Ortegas was Pe- that, yeah. lesson two back. I, re- I love that scene as well. Yeah. Yeah. There are no breaks in security because threats never take breaks is lesson two. <laughs> there it is. So I want to get a list of all the lessons in a book someday. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of like Leffler's Laws from TNG. I kind of want to see like Ortega's rules of lessons of security or whatever. Yeah, it also made me think of the rules of acquisition for Ferengi. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So let's talk in general overall about this man and this boy. This boy is the first servant to the Magellan people, and he's chosen at birth through a lottery to embody their maxims, science, service, sacrifice. Everyone on the planet is his family. That's why his 
fathers only his father in a biological sense. And we see him in sickbay, this boy, and he's so intelligent. He knows all this stuff and he even impresses Spock. And, but at the same time, his father is letting the doctor and nurse scan him. And, but he himself is a doctor, but he's only a doctor to his son. And I guess I'm just kind of like thinking about this overall play here at this point in the episode and curious of what you thought maybe was going on with, with, with who this boy was. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I was just kind of curious to learn more about him and and what his role in the society was. I thought maybe he'd be like a ruler of some kind or something like that. He was being groomed for that. Yeah, I wasn't sure at this point, but I was definitely curious to learn more. Yeah, I wasn't sure either. I was getting a little curious, like, is there something where he was kidnapped or they're doing something to him that they didn't want the doctor and nurse to figure out about him, you know, something unethical, which kind of does, yeah, play later. But I wasn't, the direction this episode was going wasn't exactly what I was thinking at this this time. And, and I just kept thinking that something they've done to this boy was something that wasn't right. And it's not so much what they've done to him, it's what they do to him later, which is the big problem in this episode. There's definitely the impression that something hinky was going on, basically. (laughs) You know, they're they're acting a little bit cagey, the father and all of this stuff. I, I thought the revelation of the medical technology was really interesting as well, and how basically there's no disease because of, of this technology on their world and stuff. And uh, I, my thoughts immediately went to Mbenga's daughter at this point, And I knew exactly what he was thinking at that moment for sure. Yeah. And when this elder Gamal says he won't, they can't share with outsiders their technology, their medical technology. I was like, Oh, come on. You know, like this could help. Mimbenga's daughter out and it's like I was I was like as soon as he was saying that I was like of course of course we're not going to just hand it over and it's over and done with in this episode and I was really feeling for him because you know then we see this boy playing with his daughter later and again it's just like oh we got to do something to help his daughter because early in the episode we see the doctor reading to her just reintroducing that whole concept again but man I was like feeling for him but i still believe that in the long run in this series he's going to find his answer through vulcans and that's why he goes to study with uh, the vulcans later in his career yeah well he does get a, a step towards it in this episode by the end which is nice to see i also want to you mentioned the the scene where where his daughter and this first servant are playing together Somebody pointed out online, and I love this, that the colors, that little hopscotch thing that he mentions, the noble gases and stuff for the, you know, helium, neon, argon, krypton, xenon, radon, like they got the, those colors exactly right for those, those states of the, those gases. So, uh, that was apparently uh, this commenter was saying, and I agree, the influence of the science advisor on Star Trek, making sure that, that those are exactly right. Very, very cool. That's good. Yeah, I didn't even check that out to make sure it was right or not. So that's good. But See, I love the- just for the people, because I wouldn't either. I would never think to check that or look at that. But for the people out there who 
wood, they got that. Ex- like, I just love that attention to detail. It's beautiful. Yeah. No, that's great. That's that's good to know. See, they did their homework and that's what we like. But now also later we have Uhura and La'an and Spock and even Alora go down to the crashed ship that was shooting at their shuttle earlier. And they get down there and one of the things they find is this oath coin that the guards carry with them. And it's kind of marked up and you don't deface a coin unless you're against the people of this planet. You know, she points, Laura points that out. And so already they're suspecting something weird's going on here. And so later that comes into play because they line up the guards to look at their coins. And one of the coins, the casing looks a little broke. And she's like, can I get a closer look at that? And the guy starts like running off, you know, now there's this whole big chase scene and they're fighting him and all that stuff. But there's obviously something that when they're asking this guard, why are you doing this? He feels like he's doing it for the protection of the first servant. Like Mm -hmm. he doesn't quite say that, but it's like, it's something to do with the plant. So you're already suspecting that there's something weird going on. Yeah. What's interesting too, is through all of this, we also have Pike and, you know, this is an old flame of his, right? That he's reconnecting with. And I feel like there's a lot of red flags here. There's a lot of warning signs. And and by this point, when we're watching the episode, we're like, something's not right here. The way that guard said, you know, I'm fulfilling my oath, you know, but in a different way or whatever he says, you're like, okay, what does that mean? I feel like Pike is a little distracted here and not quite seeing things because his judgment is clouded just a little bit by his, you know, being on cloud nine, being around this old flame of his, right? Like, did you feel like he was maybe not so far as to say compromised, but not quite seeing what he might've seen had he not been distracted that way? Yeah. I felt like maybe he had too much trust in her Mm -hmm. and like really willing to give her the benefit of the doubt when, I feel like if he didn't have that personal connection, he would be questioning things a little bit more. Yeah, because when it does get revealed at the end, he takes it not, I think he takes it even harder. I mean, I mean, let's just go ahead and talk about that because, you know, this boy is hooked up to a machine in the ceremony for the people of Magellan. And Pike sees this going on because, and what really is disturbing is both he and the boy see this like, dead body of another child a mummy of a child that went through this before and his reaction to that is very much you know shock and then very disturbed about what they're going to do wants to stop it but then later in the episode when he's with Alora, there's that and this hurt like i can't believe i trusted you and and like my like i almost felt like it was even more intense because He's just so pissed off at her, <laughs> you know, for doing this. And he's kind of put his feelings into her and he didn't really know her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I want to shout out that the performance of the young actor playing the first servant, like he's so bright and enthusiastic and you know, full of life throughout the whole episode. And he's 
eager to do his part to serve his planet until he sees that. And then the look of fear and uncertainty and terror on his face from that moment up until he gets put in the machine is just heartbreaking because we've had so much time with this kid and gotten to know him and to see him so scared for oh man that that was brutal like that was really hard to watch and i was right there with pike obviously he also like you said has the other feelings mixed in where he the the huge betrayal he senses from you know being close to this woman and and then seeing what she has to do which what she feels she has to do for her society but also just seeing this kid right in front of him with this visceral terror on his face i like when he starts fighting those guards i feel like i would have been right there with him like trying to do whatever i could to get to this kid to get him out of the, out of that situation and you know I don't know, protector instincts just kick right in. You want to protect this kid from any kind of harm. And that's what we found out his biological father was trying to do too. Exactly, yeah. Because earlier in the episode, they go to beam off of the ship without permission, the father and the biological son. And when they're beamed off and the father's then beamed back, but the son isn't. And they think the son is on that enemy quote, enemy ship of these colonists that have been attacking the Bajellans, uh, that other shuttle and such. But, and then the enterprise goes to tractor beam and the ship tries to use the warp drive. And then there's like, you know, the ship's going to get destroyed if it keeps trying to use warp drive when we're in the tractor beam. Go ahead and release it before it blows up. And they did, but it still blows up. And they think the boy has now died. And the father's reaction is like, uh, you know. At this point, I really didn't believe the boy was dead because we've kind of seen a scene of this boy that comes later. And I knew he was going to show up later in the episode. But I was like, I don't know how this is going to be done. But we find out that the boy actually had been beamed into a little pod. I don't What are those things? Because remember, that was on Hemmer's hand at one point. Those pods, what are the? Are those escape pods or something? I think they were cargo pods of some kind. I remember there's some signage on one or something, but I can't remember what made me think that it just held cargo of some po- kind. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, I just thought that whole thing was interesting because I wasn't expecting that the father was protecting his son in this way because we didn't know exactly what was going on. Like early in the episode, I'm thinking this father is just very strict and he's putting his son in this position and all this stuff. When in reality, he's working with these other people to help get his son out of this position. One thing that I found really fascinating too was like the ancient knowledge of this society and how they don't even at this point know why this system needs a kid in order to run it and and all of this. They just know that they haven't been able to find an alternative. I thought that was really interesting and kind of a little bit of a comment on, you know, not passing on knowledge to the next generation or something like that, or society becoming too reliant on the technology without the basic understanding of it something we've seen in Star Trek before. And I I thought that was kind of an interesting thread through the episode as well. I like how, yeah, at the end we find out from Alora that this is just the child's destiny and that Magellus 
can't can't be what it is uh it they need the machine and him and the neural network network to function and the founders designed it this way this is the function that the designers chose for their way and if they don't do it this way they will suffer as people and i'm like pike it's like you know the founders may have created this but can you find another way around it and it's just like they just accept it and I don't know what that messaging, I haven't thought about it, but I don't know what the Star Trek messaging is to us. Is that maybe it's like just because something was set up years ago, does it mean it still has to continue that way? Or there's all, you can always look for different ways or better ways to do things. I don't know if that's part of the messaging, but I also like how she throws it back in his face. What about the children who are in poverty on your planet, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean that part of the messaging of this episode is is very stark and very clear. And and I was thinking along those lines as well of you know, before it gets spelled out, we have our western society and the the relative comfort that we live in and how it's very much we we don't like to face this. We don't like to look at it but it's very much built on the back of a lot of the rest of the world, a, a great part of the world that lives in um, very poor conditions. They they make our toys and gadgets and, and stuff that we use to make our lives comfortable. You know, we, every once in a while, there's a story in the news of a barge full of our recycling trash that comes into the port somewhere in Southeast Asia and... Now they just have to deal with all of the trash of our society and stuff. And, you know, the the children and the, the people living in those areas and the fact that they suffer for our comfort and our ease of life. Like that's that's something that I feel like this episode is trying to make us confront a little bit here, which uh, I definitely picked that up. Yeah, I did, too. But I also thought when she pointed that out to him about Earth. My thought was, is that still going on on Earth at this period of time? Yeah, well, she yeah. doesn't say Earth. She says she says your society, right? Like, I think she's talking about the Federation. And I would wonder if, I mean, we do know that the Federation at this time still uses, like, it, it's not a post-scarcity economy. Like, they don't have replicators like they do in... in the far future and, and stuff. So that's possible. I, I did note specifically that they didn't talk about earth. They talked about your society. And I, I took that to mean the Federation. Well, I think we covered a lot of the big highlights of this episode, but is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you want to mention or just give your final thoughts? So yeah, final thoughts on this episode. I, I again, not my favorite of the season, but still really interesting. Great performances by everybody in this episode. Uh, really, I think, poignant things that it has to say for people who are receptive to those messages, who are open to hearing them. I, I you know, I, I think that's an important aspect of Star Trek. One thing that I do that I do want to mention, though, is we do get the brief return of George Kirk, finally. And uh, he's apparently averse to conflict, <laughs> which I enjoyed. I loved that scene. That was a lot of fun. But I'm going to introduce another strike against this episode. And it's the second one in a row now. Where is Hammer? Why is he not in this episode? 
I miss that guy. I really, again, I want that Hammer focus episode, but you know, he's basically not been in half the episodes now because he just shows up right at the end of episode one and he's not been in these last two episodes. So I am missing my Bruce Horak. I, I want Bruce content, not just on the podcast, but in the strange new worlds as well. So we need Bruce Horak back as Hammer. Come on guys. Uh, but yeah, besides that, like I said, excellent episode, great performances and that, that, horror that Pike sees at the end and, and his experience there. I just, Anson Mount is such a good actor and that final shot of him just staring out the window with his little glass of whiskey or whatever, looking out and pondering on the events of the episode, that quiet moment that's this episode ends on, I think was perfect. So yeah, I'm going to give it 7.5 pulsars out of 10 on this one. So not my favorite, but still a very good episode. I think this episode, as I mentioned earlier, is even better the second time around because you know where it's going. And so you look at it from that perspective, it, it, it's kind of even stronger to me as an episode, but I think it's a great episode overall and it's great Star Trek. And it has, like you said, the messaging in there, uh, there's a lot of good little character moments in here. Not as many as I feel like there have been in prior episodes, but still some really good ones. Um, I, I Yeah, I just wasn't as invested in it as I had been in some others, or I wasn't on the edge of my seat, but it just felt very classic, you know, just, just very classic Star Trek. So, yeah, not bad, but not necessarily great either. Just a really good, solid Star Trek story, an episode. And I enjoyed all the performances and... And I, again, I think the second time around, it's it's even better. So I'm going to give this a strong four out of five data chips for Uhura to translate for us. Excellent. Right on. She's, yeah, linguistics seems to be where she's leaning towards. Interesting. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if that'll pan out in her career somehow. Hmm. I know. Oh, no, I think it's going to be security. I think security's <laughs> yeah, She definitely, that seems to be her cup of tea here for sure. <laughs> so the next episode is the Serene Squall. And we'll talk about that, of course, when that episode comes out later this week. So, yeah, a lot more episodes left. No, well, not a lot more, but we're a little past the halfway mark. But what, four more episodes? Yep, that's it. Four more. Uh, and then it's over. And then... There'll be this quiet period of time for a little while until I guess what lower decks or prodigy. I can't remember which one I think lower lower decks Decks season three. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, Dan, in the meantime, if people want to talk strange new worlds with you, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K E R T R A T S youtube.com slash Kurtrats productions, Kurtrats 47 on Instagram and, of course, in the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook. Yeah, if you want to join that group, just let us know. We'll let you in. Just have to answer a couple little questions. Real easy to do that. Some of you don't answer the questions, which concerns me. So yeah. maybe we don't let you in. <laughs> well, the, the most important thing, you have to click that you agree to the group rules. If you don't do that, we don't let you in. So uh, you do have to agree to the group rules. 
Yeah, you can tell us that you hate us, but you have to agree to the rules. Exactly. <laughs> but you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. I'm also on Instagram at just Admiral Rex. And you can email us here at the podcast, PositivelyTrek at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PositivelyTrek and look for our Goodreads group which gives you a list of upcoming episodes for our book club and what we're going to read for those episodes, which our next book club is going to be the adventures of the 32nd century. Those four issues of the comics. We were going to do tales of the dominion war with Jesse gender, but that's going to be delayed probably in like July. So give it another few weeks or so, and we'll get to that. So if you're reading that book, you know, hold on to that because we're, we are going to cover it. So no worries there. (laughs) So thanks everyone for joining us. And until next time, go out in the world and stay positive. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic, but today work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries, and with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.